This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Zabidi Anyabwile. I'm Ben Brophy. Today, we are going to talk about so-called God and country politics. Um, want to just say a few things about what we mean uh, by this. Um, if you've ever kind of been in a, a discussion or a debate with your friends uh, about kind of the use of American symbolism or American flags or signs of patriotism in the context of your church, your church community, you've gotten a taste of the basic question around God and country politics, which is to say, to what extent does being a Christian sort of overlap with being an American in our case? Um, and how does that kind of show up in the way that we think about, um, in the way we think about the sort of relationship between the church and the state or the church and the country? So how does this show up in the sort of contemporary debate? Um, you know, like I said before, things like, is the American flag or other trappings of patriotism in churches? How important is the 4th of July on, on your church calendar, for example? Um, starting to get a little bit deeper, this idea of speaking of America as a Judeo-Christian country, founded on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, a corollary to that, the idea that America is in some ways uniquely blessed by God. Um, and then I think thirdly, starting to think about political leadership, claiming that your president or another leader, any, any elected leader, you know, what they do is ordained by God, certainly, but even approved by God. Um, and often this is selective reasoning. If it's a president or a politician we like, then we're more likely to say that than if it isn't. But these things all kind of fall under that category of thinking about sort of religion and being an American and those things kind of going together. Um, and, um, you know, one thing I think we hope to talk about today is how God and country politics can be challenging, how it can even be dangerous. Um, but let's kind of think a little bit together about, you know, why that might be. So, Thabiti, um, what does the Bible say fundamentally about how the church relates to the state um, or just even about this idea of kind of the nation or uh, be, and how it relates to the kind of church as polities? Yeah. Well, I mean, in one sense, the, the story of the Bible is the story of the formation of a nation, a unique nation, uh, a theocratic nation called Israel. Uh, and by theocratic, um, it, it is to say that it's a nation directly ruled by God um, and uh, is under sort of the laws of God and, and meant to be, uh, even as a quote unquote um, civic people, meant to be oriented toward God and worship. Um, of course, there's no sort of separation of church and state in a theocratic kingdom. Um, the state, such as it were, is, is kind of a, an instrument of a God who's, who's ruling the state. Uh, that's an utterly unique um, conception of statehood in the Bible and in the world. And there is no other theocratic kingdom in terms of a true God ruling a people um, than Old Covenant Israel. Um, uh, until you come to the New Testament and you think about this idea, 
And of course, it's not a nation state. It's not a group of people um, defined by common ethnicity. Uh, it's not a group of people defined by common geography and common culture. It's the church. Uh, Christ is the head of the church. The church is its body. The church is made up of people from every tribe, language, nation, and so on. There's one new man now, one new nation uh, in Christ, according to Ephesians 2. Um, and so the, the idea that God relates to a particular uh, national polity, uh, the way he related to Israel uh, is, is no longer the case. Uh, he represents, he, he, he relates himself to a, um, a, a new spiritual body, the body of his son uh, through faith in Christ. So anytime then um, Christians are, are engaged in um, what we might call civil religion, it's almost a, in some ways a uniquely American phenomenon, American civil religion, um, they're involved in a kind of Baal worship, involved in a kind of idolatry. The posture of the, of the Bible toward that is the state is subservient to God. God's the one who created the state. It's the one who creates government. Uh, government sort of carries out its mission, but he's not ruling directly through government uh, in the way he was with the theocratic Israel. Um, and, and the sort of adoption, the commingling of um, state and country in worship is, is it is a kind of syncretism. Uh, yeah. It's a kind of uh, false worship. It's a kind of idolatry um, that we ought to be careful to, um, for, for a number of reasons, we ought to be careful to avoid. When we think about the American context, it's actually, it's actually Protestant Christians near the founding of the country um, that are very influential in securing the separation of state, uh, church and state. Um, so that, that history of our nation's founding uh, is in one part Christians who are uh, clear that whenever church and state have been blended, it's been bad for church and state. Uh, American Protestants were escaping countries where church and state had a, a sort of cozy relationship and they were escaping for religious freedom. So religious liberty uh, in some ways begins, it was the sort of first um, political thing that the church, the evangelical church in the new world got involved in. Uh, and they did it in order to protect the purity of faith, the purity of religion um, from state commingling, state control, state encroachment, uh, and so on. So, you know, it's, it's interesting um, to nowadays see the church wrap uh, the cross in the flag to, to commingle uh, a kind of religious iconic, uh, you know, iconography uh, from secular society with Christian um, sensibilities and ideas. So, um, so that now in kind of American civic, civil religion, uh, we got we have at least two sacred texts. We've got the Bible and the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. We've got at least two quote-unquote sacred signs. We've got the cross and we've got the flag. Um, we believe not only in the sanctity of the church, but the sanctity of uh, American institutions. When I say we, I mean those who are, you know, practicing this kind of civil religion. Um, there's belief in a God, but it's the same abstract God of the sort of moral therapeutic deism, as Christian Smith and others uh, coined that term to describe uh, religion in America these days. Um, 
there is a notion that, that, that freedom comes from God through government uh, and that government has this authority from God, um, but it's almost unchecked, it's unbounded by other biblical convictions. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that's a bit of the, the sort of civil religion that's happening there. And it's, again, it's a kind of, it's a kind of idolatry. It's the same kind of thing that happens to Israel when Israel intermarries with other countries. Um, they, they leave God and they pick up the culture and the worship, elements of the worship of the surrounding countries, uh, Moabites or whomever, um, and, and their own sort of religious integrity crumbles. And, and God has to chastise them in various ways to bring them back to himself in, in a revival and, and in a more pure faith. Yeah, no, wow, that's uh, a lot to think about in a lot of ways. And I'll just say, in thinking that we have not, well, the, the, the analogy of syncretism, I think, is important because the reason syncretism is a problem is because it takes the gospel and it adds to it, right? Yeah. It adds, some, sometimes it actually distorts the thing itself, but even if it doesn't, right, like adding to it and saying, well, it's, it's, it's the gospel and it's these other things too. Mm -hmm. right it's american symbolism it's patriotism it's any number of other things like that um and that's what makes it i think especially dangerous um, well here's a way to sort of give it a litmus test if you think um to be a good christian you must be a good american you are probably you know a step or two into a kind of civic religion right? yeah uh or if you think that all good americans are also good christians or christians Mm. You, you're a step or two into a kind of syncretism, right? Um, you know, if, if, if you think, for example, that God in every war, that God is on the side of the United States, you're into a kind of American civil religion, right? Probably not even recognizing that the United States might be bombing brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries, right? <laughs> um, right. And so, um, yeah, th those become the kind of telltale signs, man, where you, those, th those ideas get sort of so blended that you think one is kind of the other. Like, to be a Christian is to be an American, to be an American is to be a Christian. Yeah. That's, that's civil religion. That's not biblical religion. Yeah. And the other, the other like heinous thing about it is, um, it's, it's, it's glory thieving, right? In the sense mm. of you're taking away honor and glory due to the God uh, and attributing some of that to country. And God won't allow anything to thieve his glory. And so the degree to which we see in some corners, the severing of evangelical identity from American identity, I think that is a huge positive. I think it's going to be used for God's glory. And, you know, you can't worship two masters. You can't be uh, in love with your country to the exclusion of in love with God. And so there is a, a very distinct hierarchy that needs to, needs to happen between how we relate to the God of the universe and our country, which is something far less than that. Um, so I think, I think that's like the, the ultimate or the biggest problem with the heresy there of, of syncretism is you're robbing God of his glory. Um, and then everything else that he mentioned as well is, is heinous and it does become gospel plus it does become these other things but it it tries to kick god off the throne um which is kind of the root of all sin in the first place so um probably I, I have this sudden kind of memory flashing 
um, which uh, this may or may not be appropriate. We can edit it out if it isn't. But I'm thinking back to I'm thinking back to 2008 and the presidential campaign and the controversy over over Jeremiah Wright. So without saying anything about Jeremiah Wright's um, theology, because that is not something we sign on to, one of the most controversial statements that surfaced that was played again and again and again was him saying, it's not God bless America, it's God damn America. That's mm -hmm. in the Bible. Right, right, no. So again, without saying anything about whether that was bad, the thing that got people so upset was the idea of a church pastor from the pulpit suggesting anything other than God bless America. Yes. That was the thing that made it incendiary. That's right. right? And, I, and, I, and I think that that is because of our God and country religion, right? This idea, and, and, and I actually, there's another sort of disadvantage to God and country politics is that it'll make a pastor reticent to criticize the country when the country's doing something wrong, mm -hmm. um, as it were, or to criticize leadership or leaders when they're doing something wrong, I think. Well, and there is that, there's that American exceptionalism in there too, right? Like there is this, I, I mean, we're taught this. So the, this is civic religion in a very real way of America is fundamentally more moral or better system of governance and all those things. Um, uh, and so I think it becomes, when you start pressing on these priors that people hold, uh, yeah, the, the initial reaction is, is typically quite, aggressive right because this is this is something you've been taught since you were young or something you believe since you were young so if you shake that uh the the relate the reaction is often super aggressive and super emotional um, as it is with any idol that's exactly right it's an idol it's an idol you know it's, it's interesting um you go back to that um that speech from jeremiah that sermon from jeremiah Wright and uh the election um, there, there's a there's a, a pastor in town who described himself as a fundamentalist. I, some of our listeners would know if I named them. Uh, who listened to the uh, listened to the sermon had a couple others listen to the sermon, and said to me, "Actually, I I disagree with anything he said." You know, um, oh, wow. and uh, he said, I, "I feel like I've heard this kind of thing um, in fundamentalist pulpits around the country." Here's here's what I think is interesting though, right? That this this particular pastor I don't think is is one that practices American civil religion, um, but I bet you a hundred dollars to a donut and any listener out there a hundred dollars to a donut. Here's the offer uh, that hearing that kind of language and critique in other sort of pulpits, sort of fundamentalist or conservative evangelical pulpits, um, I'd almost bet you those critiques were going down the party line, right? And sure. that's, what, that's what's yeah. different between my pastor friend who I'm talking about, though he described himself as a fundamentalist. I, I don't think he's a political partisan um, in, in quite the way that many uh, conservative evangelical fundamentalist reform pulpits have become. So, so the civil religion uh, often is um, wound up with this kind of conservative um, theological space. And, so this and is a great point. Yeah. Okay. Well, just, just to finish this thought, and, and this is why if you say, hey, um, you know, uh, I've, I've heard other pulpits be critical of the country, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who, who might be sort of practicing, who might be susceptible to civil religion saying, yes, that's right, my, I've heard my pastor criticize the country. Go further and ask yourself if your pastor has seemed to criticize the country in ways that would indicate 
he's sometimes on both sides of the aisle, right? Because if not, he's partisan. And to the extent he's partisan, you're practicing civil religion, not prophetic religion. But if he seems to sometimes sound like he's on the left, sometimes he sounds like he's on the right, he seems to be even-handed um, and, and criticizing the country in a way that, you know, lots of people could kind of get behind, then chances are he's, he's moving more freely and more prophetically. That's a really good point to be, and you're right. Like, like, I think that amends what I said earlier. It's not that it prevents us from ever criticizing. It prevents us from criticizing the country from a certain angle. Yeah. Um, so to say, hey, this country, has a history of systemic racism like god will hold the country to account for that okay that's not okay but sort of sort of standard issue culture warrior this country is going straight to hell kind of stuff right. totally fine right. yeah that's, that's a really right. really good point that's right yeah. so you know i mean to put to put it sort of plain the way you are there right so much of the culture war is simply american civil religion it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it is not biblical prophetic uh religion uh, yeah. and, and some people are going to be confused by that. Well, one of the reasons it's confusing is American civil religion has a kind of, yeah, it has a kind of morality built into it, right? A sort of general morality that it sees as consistent with Judeo-Christian values, quote unquote, but it's not rooted in biblical text. It's not anchored to biblical text. And so a faithful Christian can hear that language and it resonates with a Christian sensibility and not recognize that it's not, it's not distinctively Christian. Let me give you an illustration. Mm. Um, you could be talking with um, someone with a different religion, say a, a Mormon or, or even a Muslim, and they might use the language of grace, but they don't all at all mean what the, the sort of biblical Christian means when they talk about grace. Same language, you could be resonating with the idea, but meaning really different things. And that's part of what's happening in sort of civil religion versus uh, biblical Christianity, and why I think a lot of well-meaning um, Christians intending to be biblical get swept up in um, what I'm, I would call this false worship of the state. Nick, can I interject one question? Um, yeah. So I think, T, you gave a couple of caveats of like litmus tests for whether we're going off the rails as it relates to civil religion. Less people think... Uh, <laughs> We all hate our country, which we don't. We love it. I, I guess like, I mean, like, it's I all right. It's all it. right. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than a lot of others. That's, that's right. Well, that's, yes. <laughs> but that's not the standard by which we're, we're not comparing, right? Like the standard is not relative to other countries, which praise God, there are things to be grateful for in our country that mm-hmm. you can have in other places. Like that's God's great. To, to go back to that summer of 2000. The title of the speech Obama gave in response to the right controversy was aptly titled A More Perfect Union, which is probably a better place to be, right? Mm -hmm. A union that can be made better um, Mm -hmm. if we would if we would if we would participate in the right way in it, as it were. Right, but the standard standard for government is not other governments, it's the kingdom of God, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's what we're not that Anyway, so I guess the, the question I have for the for oh, well, okay, one, one, the standard is, but we would never expect a government to fulfill that, right? Like God's yeah. kingdom is God's kingdom, and yeah, but but yeah. your point that no government's perfect is certainly right. <laughs> um, so I guess the question I have for you two is is okay. How do Christians then rightly place affection for country, yeah. right place? Um, underneath love of love of christ 
That's a, that's a great question, Ben. Hey, go ahead, Nick. You want to keep I'm, th I'm thinking because uh, because the answer is that it's absolutely possible and good and like don't everyone don't anyone take out of this that we shouldn't celebrate the Fourth of July, right? For example, right? I think there's to me. I think what I often think about is that America and sort of all, all the things that comprise America, which is to say the sort of relative freedoms, the kind of <laughs> prosperity, the history that has sort of made progress bit by bit, sometimes in fits and starts, the sort of history of, you know, sort of better justice today than there was a hundred years ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those are sort of blessings that God has provided to us through our country as means, if that makes sense. And we can be grateful for those things. And we can be grateful for sort of what being Americans means, right? Um, but we should never confuse that with saying that like America itself is somehow the source or special, right? Those are gifts from God, right? A society that lives in relative peace and freedom, right? A society um, where, you know, we have lots of opportunities, um, a society where we can speak our minds and where we can disagree sort of civilly with each other, all that other stuff, right? Those are all, I guess I look at sort of some of the things that are part of the American story and I go, wow, you know, what blessings those various things are. And then that leaves lots of room to say, wow, look at all the things we're still getting wrong, right? Look at all the things that like aren't working and I shouldn't have any precocity about like, you know, critiquing those things either. Because likewise, like they are, you know, like, like God has blessed us in certain ways. And then there are other things that like we don't yet have and we can sort of agitate and fight for them and say, hey, so critique, there's, there's plenty of room for critique in that regard, um, if that makes sense. So that, I think that's how I tend to think about it day to day. I was with you till precocity. What does that mean? Oh, I just like, I mean, like, I'm not, that, I'm, not I, well, I'm, I'm not even sure I use the word right. Just to say like, we're not, I'm not, I'm not sort of super precious about the how dare how, how could i possibly critique this country yeah. right like because i'm a part of it mm -hmm. uh, when in fact i mean one of the wonderful things about america as a concept is at least in some tellings of the story it's built on the idea that we are stronger because we can critique america mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um that's not like a given it's not like handed down to us sir, but the fact that we can do it is really helpful and really useful mm -hmm. i think it's when you start to say these principles substitute in for biblical principles that you start to get into trouble what mm -hmm. you can do is you can sort of look across the range at a list of things that americans get to do and the ways our society runs and go wow those are some really helpful ways to deliver on some of the biblical principles around a society that flourishes, a society that's free, a society that, you know, all the things that like God says government is to do, but they are by no means the only ways to deliver on those things, nor are they kind of the monopoly, like this is the exception, we're the only ones, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think then I would, I would sort of add and answer to your question two things. Uh, one, uh, in order to love things in their proper sort of order, I think the, the Christian has to reject the American mythology. You, you, you got to reject the notion that America is the city on a hill, right? Uh, the beacon of, of, of hope and righteousness to the world. You, you just got to deconstruct the notion that America always serves a higher purpose than self-interest um, and, and so on. Uh, because if you if you have those blinders on, you won't be able to do the kind of critique that, um, 
Nick has just talked about. Uh, that's precisely what it's, it's that mythology that keeps uh, the person sort of trapped to civil religion is that mythology that keeps them from being able to sort of critique the country or to go far enough in their critique. Uh, they're just so eager to get back to something positive. So like, uh, just to pick on Nick a little bit, I don't care if we don't celebrate the 4th of July. Yeah. Not, that, that wasn't Independence <laughs> for Day for sure. everybody. You know, there were a whole bunch of African sons and daughters and a whole bunch of native sons and daughters um, who, who were not celebrating that as the founding of the country and, and some kind of celebration of, of liberty. Just um, a massive inconsistency, right? Um, but, but the one who's sort of taken with civ civic religion is like, oh, how dare you desecrate the 4th of July, you know? Um, have, would have no thought to Juneteenth. We have no thought about June 19th, right? So, so I think the first thing is to reject the mythology. The second thing is um, to sort of, then therefore sort of criticize the country more than you do your church. I think a lot of Christians have that backwards. They're much more critical of their local churches uh, or the church writ large than they are of their country. Um, and and that, sort of, that sort of signals that affections are not properly ordered. We should, we should love Christ and Christ's people more than we love our country. And we should be choosing Christ and Christ's people uh, over our country, wherever that sort of um, rubber hits the road. So to sort of quote a great American, James Baldwin, Baldwin says, I, I love my country too much not to criticize it, right? I, I think that kind of prophetic critique, which is why we have this podcast, right, uh, is an expression of love, but you've got to get the sort of relationships in their right order. Uh, and one way of doing that is rejecting the mythology uh, and criticizing the country more than you do the church. So let me try to do one thing here, which is to say, if we were to give the kind of brief debunking of the mythology, right? Like just a couple, I mean, a couple of things to think about, right? Like, so if you think about like the founders of the country, number one, they were diverse in their viewpoints. They were diverse in their religion. You had sort of deists among them who aren't really Christians at all. You had honest to goodness evangelicals among them. You had slaveholders and people who detested slavery among them. You had them hammer out a document that was not some divinely inspired anything, but a product of raw political compromise. <laughs> yeah. um, and you see that in things like the three-fifths clause or even um, the makeup of the House versus the Senate and privileging states over people or people over states. You see that kind of show up in the document. To, be, to your point, um, it was very much a bourgeois revolution of the kind of upper middle class landowners. You, we've made the argument on this podcast in the past that it's not clear if you were a pastor at the time, you could have supported the revolution right? um, as a rebellion against a, an instituted civil authority because these guys were getting really revolutionary over a pretty minor thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, but they ended up winning. And so history is written by the winners. And um, they then kind of proceeded to um you know as you as you noted like the nation to that point had been built on a genocide of native peoples here and it continued to be built on slavery for another hundred or so odd years after that um you add all that up and there's very little to sort of recommend the idea that like there was a kind of perfection built in from the start that we need to revere in the same way that we revered the bible or biblical principles and i think that having a healthy realistic view of that is not to say therefore just forget america it's to say you know 
make America better. People have since made it better. I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day and we're saying like our current work is about a question in which we say the constitution was written for white people, right? Yeah, now, yeah. as America looks down the precipice of becoming a majority minority country, the fundamental question in front of us is, are we gonna honor that constitution when it's for not white people, basically? Um, and when its guarantees are fundamentally for a different majority than the ones that, than the people that wrote it. And so I think that there's just something there, like there's something beautiful about that if it actually happens. It suggests that we can you know, be better and improve upon what our predecessors did, but we need to have a realistic view of who they were um, if we're gonna do that. This, this is where um, civic religion is both a, can be a, a, a blessing um, and where it can break down. Because the, one of the things that um, this sort of civil religion does is it, it gives the nation a common faith, right? It gives the nation yeah. a, a common way of thinking about God or a common way of thinking about higher ideals for itself. And that's, that's meant to be unifying, um, or, or at least it functions that way. Uh, it gives the, the nation a common story, right? But then when you start sort of taking the jackhammer to the foundation of that in the way that, that we're suggesting here, the question be, that's begged is, okay, what holds us together yeah. as Americans, right? What, what holds us together as a country? Um, and, and my question is, okay, can we have something like a constitution that holds us together without sort of buttressing yeah. it with the mythologies, right? Um, and that, that's where I think this sort of what we're calling civil religion will be tested. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where the country gets sifted, right? Because there'll be some folks who even just get insulted at the idea that the Constitution was written for white people. Totally. Um, I, I think it's worse than that. It's written for white men, right? <laughs> it wasn't even written for, for all white people. It's written for white yeah. men. But there'll be some people who, who, because of the mythology, who thinks of that as a document that was really written to preserve liberty for all, right? Using the language that's circulating at that time not at all sort of miss, you know, recognizing that actually in practice it wasn't, it, it really wasn't. Um, and so figuring out what's going to be that glue that holds the country together um, is a real problem. It's a significant problem given the diversity of the country, uh, yeah. not just ethnically, culturally, but in terms of political ideas and everything else. Um, and that's, that's what I think the country is, you know, in upheavals about is figuring out yeah, how we're going to be- right. Yeah, how are we going to be one people? And I didn't even mention one other aspect of the mythology, which is the Civil War mm. and what the Civil War was about mm. and how we he healed after the Civil War. Yeah. Essentially, you know, what's, what's essentially referred to as the lost cause mythology, right? So if you watch Gone with the Wind, <laughs> you'll mm -hmm. get a sense of sort of what that is, but it's a, it's a rewriting of history to write slavery out of the equation, mm -hmm. essentially to talk about the sort of honor of Southern gentlemen. And it was a myth that white northerners let the south have in order to create a peace after a very very bloody civil war mm -hmm. um you know that that mythology as much as any other right holds us together and when we start testing it by saying tear down confederate statues again the result is the same type of unrest i think and actually um Thabiti, um someone who's interviewed you for his podcast our friend paul miller is writing a book about this very subject right now like mm -hmm. what will hold america together yeah. if not nationalism if not civic religion etc um yeah, i think that's a really, really important question I, i've learned so much from paul and his his podcast awkward conversations if folks haven't been listening to that they should they should
mm-hmm. then look like you were about and to not just the episode with me on it oh that's the, those are the least useful <laughs> <laughs> they look like you had a thought there brother um i mean i think the i don't know i think the thought that comes to mind is on the underside of the capitol dome there's a painting of george washington washington called the apotheosis of washington mm. and mm. i think yeah for those who would because uh, i think if yeah i think it's i think there's probably people maybe myself like 10 years ago who would listen to this podcast and just be like, what are these guys talking about? America's got a lot going for it. And this, this civil religion thing is like, you're, you're overdoing it. And then like you walk, like you walk in the Capitol building and there's literally a painting of George Washington being raised to the level of the gods in the underside of the Capitol. He's being attended by angels. Yeah. And On like, either well, side of it. What do you what do you think that means? Like, <laughs> uh, like very so. So to those that would to those that would hear what we're saying and really skeptical, I would say no. There, there's quite a few myth making elements around the founders, around history. They're all there. Um, you just gotta, and they're not even hidden. So you come to dc like there are there are a lot of monuments a lot of buildings a lot of testaments to our own greatness and, and i think it's worth considering you know why both people in the past and including up until today think it's a worthwhile investment to kind of continue this idea of american greatness or exceptionalism or, or whatever you want to call it um and you can do that without denying the God-given graces that we have received as being a part of this country. Um, there are a lot of benefits to our citizenship that many, most Christians in the world don't have. Um, and I think we can, we can appreciate those while still saying, yeah, like this is, this is fairy tale stuff and that's, that's okay. So let me uh, um, let me let me shift gears a little bit. We've talked about this in, in the general sense of things, in, in ways that have been true for our entire history. I think we are also seeing God and country religion play out in a very specific way right now with this administration, and of course, as we record this in the middle of a time of real high tensions. Um, and I'll just I'll tell I'll tell one story from kind of recent headlines, which I think even <laughs> even if you're listening to this much later, you will remember this moment. Um, sort of at the beginning of the protests over, um, over the death of George Floyd, there's a moment here in our city of DC where the protesters are gathered in the park north of the White House. And the sort of troops that are gathered there or the, the, the various police force folks who are gathered there disperse the crowd using tear gas to clear a path for the president, President Donald Trump, to walk across the street to St. John's Church, a historic church, um, you know, that sort of has been associated with presidents in the White House for as long as it's been around. Um, he goes, he stands in front of the church, has his photo taken, holds up a Bible, kind of, you know, shows it off to those who are, um, those who are uh, watching. Um, and the one bit of dialogue I, I remember is that a reporter asks him, is that your Bible? And he replies, it's a Bible. Uh, and then walks away. 
that to me kind of represents you, you you just weren't use the word apotheosis ben like apotheosis whatever the opposite of apotheosis is right like the nadir the kind of like um or i, I often like to think of it as to me that image is like the reductio ad absurdum of our civil religion um at least that's what i think but i, I wonder kind of what your guys's reaction to that was and what it says about the sort of broader moment we find ourselves in when it comes to sort of God and country religion. Um, well, I mean, that particular incident was shocking for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there in, in the day, in the 24 hours that happened after that, there was a lot of different competing interpretations or version of events that came out. But I think it's been a week or so now, so I, f I feel like we have a little more clarity. Um, the Attorney General is apparently the one who ordered the square cleared, which means responsibility for clearing the square rests with the president directly. I mean, it's his administration official that ordered it. Um, yeah, they use, you know, there was some debate over whether they use tear gas or not. It was a smoke bomb and some irritant for uh, some kind of irritant, pepper irritant that bothers people's eyes. I don't know how that's any different than tear gas, but they, they really wanted to make that point. Those were the hairs they were splitting uh, yeah. as they were asked questions afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think for me, what I found repulsive um, was the use of violence against citizens who by all accounts were being peaceful, um, you know, to get a photo op with the Bible. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that is really, yeah, I, I don't, I'm fine. My, like I had, I started this with a thought and I, now I'm just, I'm reflecting on that moment. And it's pretty stunning in a horrifying way that the president would use violence to on peaceful citizens so that he can promote himself and then cover it with a veneer of Christianity. Like that is really, I mean, God is not mocked. Like that's, there is, yeah, it just is, it's hard to, it's hard to look at that without being really, really upset about it. Um, so I think he's, I think he made a calculation that I'm gonna show that I, can dominate the streets to use his own language. And then I'll throw some chum in the water for the evangelicals by holding up a Bible and like lost among all of that is like St. John's didn't want him, you know, like, like what are their pastors um, and, and her seminarian, you know, were amongst the protesters and chased out of there. And, and so you, you're almost like, like, are they, you know, did they infringe on that church's ability to exercise religious liberty as they saw fit? You know, that was the other thing. Nobody's talking about that piece. And of course, you know, Episcopalians would have many doctrinal disputes with them. That church in particular has not treated God's word with the respect due it. So I, you know, I do want to point that out. It's not as if this is a church that I would yeah. endorse in any way but that doesn't that doesn't matter in the sense of the president just booted the people the 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 uh, pastoral staff out of there for a photo op, photo op of himself didn't tell him he was coming just helped himself to you know church property for a photo op and it's like 
if he had done that at Anacostia River Church, uh, uh, any other any other church in the area, we would be losing our minds. We'd be losing our minds, and and so, yeah. For some reason, because St. John's happens to be located where the protests at, maybe that created some confusion. But if Trump had taken a you know a, a motorcade over to a, a big church in the in the suburbs or whatever, and there was like a gathering of people there, he clears it with smoke bombs and then takes a picture in front of it. What would we say? We'd be like, "This is insane." I, anyway, that that's not really a nuanced uh, response to your question. It just the absurdity of it really defies careful analysis. Like, there's a temptation for me to be like. Let's think about this rationally, but that that was so <laughs> gratuitous that there is no response other than like that was bad. Uh, and I think you're seeing like the public is recognizing this now. I think like I saw a poll, sixty his support amongst ev- white evangelicals has now fallen to sixty two percent. And now the depressing side of that is there's sixty two percent. Still sixty two percent. But that's down from. 80 to 85 consistently over the past four years. And so when you're hemorrhaging that block, I mean, his overall numbers are down to like 38%. Who knows? We'll see what happens between now and the election. But I think the country reacted to that very poorly because I think it's just hard to justify that no matter what hairs they want to split. It's like, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, So He's paying a price for it, as he should. Um, yeah, I don't have any other. Th- I don't have any other thoughts. It's just one of the most absurd. I think it's the most absurd thing I've seen in my adult life as as it pertains to politics. I say that somewhat <laughs> cautiously. Yeah. yeah, but those are those are good good thoughts, Ben. And it, it makes me think of two things that seem important to me. That that moment, as 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 heinous as it was when you talk about um, sort of um, using religion or the Bible as a prop to sort of cover that monstrous act of tear gassing um, um, peaceful protesters, uh, I think that's actually pretty an accurate display of American civil religion throughout the history of the country. So, So the Bible is used to justify slavery. The Bible is used to justify Jim Crow. The Bible is repeatedly used in ways that um, justify things that are so utterly contrary to the Bible's content itself, right? So that that individual act is is almost an icon for um, really the the long history of of, of the country and and civil religion. The second thing that I, I I gather from your comment that I think is really quite quite useful is is also emblematic of what happens when the church comes into the or when the state comes into the church. Right. Um, there's going to be a kind of force. There's going to be an overreach. There's going to be a polluting of uh, Christian witness. Um, and so anybody who signs on and, I, and, you know, good people would not sign off on that act. Right. But but anybody who would sign off on that act or find the justification for that act, um, anyone who's not a part of the, you know, 20 percent who's sort of broken off from his support among evangelicals, they're probably the folks most susceptible to uh, American civil religion, right? Uh, and, and sort of practicing intoxicated with that combination of things. Um, and, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous for church and state. And I think that, that, that one act on that day for a photo op 
is just like this glaring, this brilliant picture of, of what's wrong with civil religion, yeah. right? Um, yeah. and, and why it's been so devastating throughout the country's history. I think I was saying to you guys before we started recording that like when you make a slippery slope argument, rarely do you get to actually experience the bottom of the slope that proves you right. But here we are. Let's, right? let's like, hope this is the bottom. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but the yeah, reason I, I say is because say, hey, hey, hey. This can get way yeah. worse. Yeah, okay, fair enough. We're, 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 we're way down the slope, right? And I, and I guess what I mean by that is before Donald Trump came along, what you had was sort of a, mm, be careful. We said a little bit of it during the Bush years, you know, there was a little bit of that. Like, hey, you know, be, be careful of your civic religion because if you do that, eventually what you're going to end up with is sort of, empty symbolism without the actual kind of you know belief and the gospel underneath it right and what you have in donald trump is somebody who kind of has learned the shibboleths of civic religion of conservative evangelical civic religion knows that if he says the words religious liberty which is a very specific connotation to this crowd it, it means their religious liberty right like um so if he says the words religious liberty and judges those are like the Pavlovian symbols, right? Like these are the things. Um, and I, 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 you know, in this case, it's sort of like my people will love me because I am standing up for their symbols, if not for their actual like right. beliefs, right. right? So here I am. I don't care about the actual like you know a church building is just a building, right? But the but 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 for him, the image of the building, him in front of the building holding the Bible, that's what matters, and. I think that there's something like it, it's sort of we have settled for this or at least I'm sorry our, our sort of co-religionists right among kind of the you know the sort of evangelical supporters of this president have kind of settled for this you, Ben you use the word chum right like it's like they've settled for this paper thin symbolism as being more important to them than the thing itself um, and um, yeah and so I, fi I find that to be genuinely um, scary and genuinely problematic. Um, I think, but I, but I will say, yeah, go ahead, Ben. Yeah. I was going to say, I think too, like, I think it's provoked. Well, maybe this has been developing independently, but I think it's provoked an, an equally uh, equal response on the progressive left that I also find concerning. I mean, now they're out of power currently. So it's, you know, it's not as it's not forefront in my mind, mm. but if you watch Jacob Frey in Minneapolis, try to address like protesters and then literally get shamed out of there. Like, and I, you know, you, we can talk about the policy that they were discussing. That's one thing or another, but like literally saying shame, shame, shame as he walked away. It's like, Oh yeah. The left has its civic religion too. That's, that's right. Oh, sure. um, and yeah. it is different and the same, um, you know, and I, yeah, I think, when when the left comes back into power like you're gonna see more of that kind of civic religious stuff um coming from that side too i mean i think right now we can disregard it as social media talk of you know there's social media mob and like i don't want to diminish that i think for some some people that's been really horrifying but um it hasn't come into its full bloom yet because they're they're currently out of power but that there's a lot of that on the other side that I think is getting more intense because of how far the right has pushed it under the current administration, right? Like they're both just pushing each other to these almost performative 
acts that I don't think are helpful. I, yeah, I think the more that that civic religion is pushed on both sides, the, the more violent the, the conflict between the two is going to become. And that, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Hmm. There's a basic kind of set of principles at stake in what you describe, Ben, on, on, on sort of both sides, which is the idea of kind of what we would call liberalism with a small L, uh, kind of the idea of sort of protection of the rights to believe a number of a wide range of things. Um, and, and coupled with that, the idea of pluralism, that different people are going to disagree, but they can each bring their beliefs to the table. And if anything, one of the ingredients of what should hold America together we think, right, um, is those sort of twin values of liberalism and pluralism, but they're being, they're being tested right now, right? What you, what you want, what the temptation is, whatever your, I think, political persuasion, is to instead establish a set of principles, a religion, as it were, and to say adherence to those principles, um, uh, adherence to those beliefs is actually what's going to hold us together, when in fact, on either side, you can't hold together any more than like, maybe if you're lucky, 51% of people <laughs> by doing it that way, as it were. So I, I, I do think that's true. Um, yeah. Um, I, I wonder, so this gets to sort of, you know, you, you would say we all just talked about how we thought that was a terrible image. It was really bad. But of course, there were many sort of evangelical defenders of Trump, even in this moment, right? There were people like Robert Jeffress, who said, you know, by holding up the Bible, he was showing that it teaches that yes, God hates racism, it's despicable, but God also hates lawlessness. Um, Franklin Graham said, you know, I, are, are you, I'm, I'm actually, we, I'm proud that he did it. And I think you should be proud too, to kind of defend, you know, our religion in the midst of all this. And um, the other quote I think is the, um, uh, Scott Walker, not a, not a, uh, not a, um, not a pastor or a faith leader, but a person who obviously has, has roots as an evangelical saying, you know, I'm glad the president had the guts to go do this, to go get this photo taken. So there are plenty of defenders um, in sort of the evangelical world of this president. And I think that's the other dimension I wanted to ask about, which is this idea of kind of leaders among evangelicals who are probably more openly supportive of this president than they have been of any president in history, including prior presidents who have themselves been um, evangelicals of one sort or another. What are we to make of that? How do we deal with that in our kind of current <laughs> sort of moment? I, I'm laughing at Ben rubbing his, his temples. He's, he's obviously got a, a tension headache just with the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but let's let's be clear. Robert Jeffress is the chief priest in the temple of, of Trump idolatry, right? So, I, you know, and, mm. and Franklin Graham, sadly, is an altar boy. So, you know, in, in some sense, uh, these are guys who uh, have, have drunk the Kool-Aid a long time ago, right? Um, I think what's interesting about the question of, of people defending this action is, again, uh, I, I, it's odd to me for them to associate this with defense of the religion, right? As if that's a state responsibility. That's not, that's nowhere stated in the Bible. In fact, throughout the Bible, New Testament, Christians are pretty universally despised and rejected and mistreated and persecuted, right? So now you've, you've got this sort of civil religion affecting how we even understand ourselves in the world. We are pilgrims and sojourners. We, uh, you know, we, the world's not worthy of people of faith. Um, you know, think about Hebrews 11 there and, and that long list of martyrs and, and so on. 
so it, it is perverting our sense of our relationship with the, the entire world, uh, including the state, um, and making us settlers and defenders of things that um, Christ has never called us to, to sort of defend and to be settlers in. Um, so, you know, the, the defense of the, of the president in, in this way, you're always going to have defenders and critics um, and uh, on almost any issue. But, but what's really telling is how, we, how even that act of defending this represents a, a, a perversion of who we are as Christians and, and our relationship to the world. Yeah, that, that reminded me. I think one of the ways to hop back to my question that we can love our, love our country in right order is remember where our citizenship lies, right? So we are first citizens yeah. of heaven. Amen. And our citizenship as an American is far, far beneath that. Um, so our allegiance is first there. And then that enables us to love our country better. And that's both by critique, as we've talked about, but also by working for the flourishing of our city, by doing the things that um, Christ would have us do so that our, our homes, our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, um, our cities would be more just places and would be more blessed places and all that all that good stuff. Um, and so I think, you know, watching prominent evangelicals trade their heavenly citizenship for earthly citizenship, not literally, I'm not saying they've lost their salvation, mm -hmm. but, you know, at least symbolically is really sad. I mean, it just really is, is sad and defies explanation. Um, you know, if you're not, even if you're not sure, like, let's say you're just not sure, like, why, why choose to engage so aggressively on this stuff? Like, I, Nick, you, you point you made is a good one. The evangelical powers that be have never been so vocal in their support for a president before. And that is mind boggling. Like, uh, ex the only thing, explanation that I've come with is they're just so afraid yeah, what can happen if they lose? So they're putting their trust in princes and saying, if we lose this prince, all is lost. And of course, yeah. what would the Bible tell us that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. So yeah. I just, it's perplexing. It, it is orthopraxy that reveals a lack of understanding of orthodoxy. And then, by the way, that is, if you, I, I looked up some quotes before this episode, but what are they saying about Trump? And so much of it is with reference to how terrible the other side is. So much of it is sort of driven by, uh, I mean, shoot, our friend, our friend Al Mohler, who kind of switched his view on this a few months ago, right? Um, you know, the major thing is, you know, the other party is so bad that I'll probably vote Republican for the rest of my life, and Donald Trump is great, by the way, right? Like, um, and which is a far cry from, you know, I, I also dug up a quote from Al in 2016, when it comes to Donald Trump, evangelicals are going to have to ask the huge question, is it worth destroying our moral credibility to support someone who is beneath the baseline level of human decency for anyone who should deserve our vote? So that was four years ago. And, you know, not, it's not, 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 it's also myopic. Like there's more than yeah. two, there's more than two options. Yeah, like, for when, sure. When you make it like, well, the Democrats are so evil that I can, it's like, well, it, you don't have to vote for Trump. You, you can vote for yourself if you think that would be best. Well, and by the way, you can vote and vote unenthusiastically, right? You can say like, this is who I voted for. 
here's all the things that's wrong with them, right? But for some reason, I think there's a psychological, once I've decided I'm for this person, then I go all in, right? So like, so, and, and it's like, you know, so that's why you get people like Franklin Graham saying things like Trump may go down in history as one of the best presidents we have ever had, right? Like, I mean, that's, so anyway, yeah, you were going to say something, Katie. Well, that, that would rival lost cause mythology, right? I mean, that's just, mm. that's just out of stratosphere. No, I, I want to make a book recommendation. I, I think Thomas Kidd's book, Who is an Evangelical, uh, mm. is a really useful read here. His second chapter, where he's looking at the ascendancy of evangelicals uh, going into the Civil War, he begins with a discussion of uh, religious freedom. And he raises a very interesting point apropos your, your question about Al Mohler and, and these guys in the view of Trump and defense of Trump. He says, if evangelicals are doing something right now that historically they, they didn't do, and in fact, what they used to do historically is almost, is, is not present. And he's, he points out that in working for religious liberty and other things, they worked with the likes of Thomas Jefferson, right? Mm. That, that they actually preferred to work with um, non-evangelical, non-Christian types uh, huh. in kind of getting the work done um, in, in sort of constitutional formation, reformations, laws, things of that sort. But now we almost have to baptize the person as an evangelical. So there's a right of, of kind of baptism into the civic religion of persons who speak the language of the civic religion and then get dubbed Christians or as um, yeah. James um, what's her name from Focus on the Family? James Dobson says, I think he's a baby Christian. Well, there's no evidence at all that this man has ever met Jesus in a saving way. But to the evangelical today, that's almost necessary that, that, they, that yeah. the person who's in the office be one of us uh, in some tribal way. Uh, and the idea of working with someone who's not one of us is, is just almost entirely dis, you know, closed off, right? Um, so that, that I think is part of what's happening too. I think Trump is, is accepted not merely as a, a quote defender of the faith, uh, but he's accepted and regarded by many um, as a kind of member of the faith. And so as one of us. And so that, that's, that, that's civil religion uh, and its membership practices at work, which, which sort of contribute to um, that strong defense of things that, that frankly are just indefensible uh, and, and make someone, maybe tempt someone to go from um, a 2016 comment about, you know, I think an accurate comment about the president's character to a 2020 comment um, that, that is all in in ways that are, that are really unnecessary, even if you have decided I'm going to vote for him. It's sort of the, yeah. the, the sort of uh, all in on Trump and on the Republican party, um, which, you know, is a kind of partisanship that gets passed off as quote unquote um, biblical worldview. But biblical worldview in that context is just another word for American civil religion. It is not the Bible's teaching. Mm -hmm. Yep, so for those keeping score, right? If you're a culture warrior or you promote a biblical worldview or Judeo-Christian values. No, 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 I, I'm I gotta, serious. I got to go. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> those, 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 phrases used in a, you, those phrases used in a certain context, that's I think right. that's right, Amini. That's right. Come back to, I'm subscribing to this sort of American civil religion, which is no religion at all. That's right. Right? No and I think, yeah, I think, I just think, I think that is, really, really, really apt, right? And those are the sort of cloak words that we use 
to kind of hide what's really going on. Um, those are our, those are our, those are some of the shibboleths of this American civil religion, as it were. Beat so. me to the punch, Nick. I was going to joke at some point that we should name this episode the big word episode because we've had <laughs> and apotheosis and all this no, kind of stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> be better at that. No, it's well, good. let me go ahead. Yeah, let me go ahead and bring us back around to the to, to, to the end then to say, as Christians, what should we do as Christians or as Christian leaders? How do you fight against American civil religion? Right? How do you how do you how do you push both our spiritual and secular leaders to embrace a more proper view of kind of politics, uh, the church and the relationship between the two? I got a, a few immediate thoughts and I'll let Ben clean them up. Um, first is I think we've got to read the Bible in community uh, and in diverse community, uh, that the scripture was meant to be heard, you know, by Christians sitting together, discussing it together. Um, and, and, and sort of a, an important um, part of that is we've got to learn to read the Bible itself um, and understand how the Bible fits together. Now, why is that important? Well, because reading the Bible together, learning to read the Bible enables us to be Bereans, right? So if we're, if we're going to sort of um, test things to see whether they were so, the way the Berean uh, disciples did with even the Apostle Paul, uh, we, we've got to be able to say book, chapter, verse in context uh, and really sift through what we're hearing from um, various leaders when they use those sort of phrases that we were talking about a moment ago, Nick. It's like, we got to be asking, okay, you say this is biblical worldview, book, chapter, verse, where is it, right? And, and let me test it to see whether it's so. So we've got to become a more literate and a more biblical people in order to sniff out the difference between American civil religion uh, and, and true biblical Christianity. Second thing is just sort of going back to the earlier comments uh, in answer to Ben's, in Ben's question. We've got to love the church more than we love the country. Um, we've got to get these things in their proper order. To Ben's point, we've, we've got to recognize that we're citizens of a different kingdom uh, and, and we should be longing for that kingdom. And that's got to take priority over um, our citizenship in this country. And, and so we've got to have people around us. We've got to develop spiritual communities, churches that foster that kind of identity in us so that we're not held captive to um, civil religion in that way. Uh, and, and then thirdly, I, I just think it's important that um, we do learn to check the mythologies that we believe, you know, things that we've been taught and have been passed on to us as sort of the super structure, the, the sort of umbrella stories that frame what it is to be an American, what it is to be a Christian. Um, we've got to revisit those and read some things that actually help us pierce, to, pierce through um, the mythology and, and sort of get at the truth, not just about the scripture, but even about the country. Yeah, I was going to say a less eloquent version of Thabiti's first point, which is if you want to be uh, bad at civil religion, you should be good at Christian religion, which primarily yeah. being it's good. in your Bible. It's much pithier. It is. It is. <laughs> I like it when light on substance and being good. <laughs> um, but I, I, think, I think that's right. Like, you know, your, your eyes are going to be opened by God's word, right? You're just going to start, if you start running everything through God's word, um, it's just going to challenge some things for you. And then it's going to, I think even probably more importantly, it's going to show you that uh, the Bible doesn't speak on some things that you thought were super clear 
because you've always been told that, right? Like there's, I'm sure we can all think of certain pet political issues, but there, the Bible is, is gives freedom of conscience on a wide range of things that you, that I previously thought, oh yeah, this is part of, the, this is clearly the biblical position on X. Um, but then you come to discover, oh, there's actually quite a bit of freedom here. And so I, I think that that is a, a really helpful um, thing to find out. I have a couple of ideas and they, they go in a couple of different directions. Um, I guess what I'd say, um, so I, I made a list before this episode. I tried to make a list of like leaders who were kind of backing this administration, leaders who were kind of outspoken against it in kind of conservative evangelical circles. I made kind of that list. There were some names on both for, I was like for and against and then neutral. And then I realized that the neutral list is probably the longest list of all right? The list of leaders that just aren't saying anything about what's going on right now. And I, I guess my one sort of encouragement would be to be, if you're, a, if you're a leader, obviously be careful about how you do it and all that other good stuff, but like be thinking about whether this moment demands that you say something. Um, because I think if you have, for example, any congregants of color in your congregation, like your silence is really, really, really like it, it is it is itself a statement. Um, and I think that's really, really, really important. And if you don't kind of correctly locate the source of the problem, you know, in certain places, then like that's also a problem as well. I think one bit of advice I'd give to like, if you're a majority culture Christian, if you're, you know, kind of a white person, right, is that we all actually have to be kind of skeptical of whether what we're doing is because of the cultural context around us or whether it's because of the gospel. And I think if you're in the majority culture, that job is going to be extra hard for you, right? If you're a, if you're a person of color, you at least have some sense of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of accustomed to, you know, I'm slightly different, right? But if you're from the majority culture, you might get live your whole life, like kind of not having any of those cultural assumptions questions. So you got to ask yourself like what, which of these things am I doing because they're rooted in scripture versus they're just things I'm comfortable with or, 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 or like. Um, and I guess the, the last thing I'd say is if I go, if I go back to like these folks who are, I mean, I, I you know, this is, I, you guys do not have to agree with me on this, but I would say if, you, if you're anywhere near one of those leaders that is trading their sort of heavenly citizenship for kind of obedience or loyalty to, uh, you know, sort of the party, like go sit under someone else's teaching. Amen. Like, I, I, I actually think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like, you know, you know, Robert Jeffress is like, he leads a very prominent SBC church in Texas, right? Like why is the, the SBC is really quick to sort of like excommunicate and call out churches for, you know, for sort of violations of sexual ethics or we're thinking about like having women pastors or whatever. But like, is this not like a heresy on par with that, this type of syncretism, right? Like, and, and should it not be something where we say, we don't actually want to send out the teaching of people like that. Um, so anyway, that's my, that's my provocative thought to, for, for the day. But I really do think like, you know, if, if, if you know, to, to use a favorite term of the left, Ben, if we could cancel some of these people, I would totally do it. <laughs> so, um, because I think they're just harmful. No, I think that's spot on, Nick. And, and I want to, I want to amen it. And, and maybe sort of help people maybe sort of say something. I think, I think you're saying, um, just to add my voice to it. 
I, I think I think I want to encourage people to think about what you were just saying about where you sit, who you sit under, leaving certain ministries, to to really soberly think about whether or not you want that person shaping your soul, right? So if the pastor's job through preaching the word is to mold a, a, a Christian identity, uh, to conform us to Christ by the means of grace, um, then we ought to be vi- we ought to be highly selective about how we sit under. Um, so I, I don't think in the first instance your recommendation, Nick, is a kind of political thing, which it, some people might hear it as, or a matter of preference or dislike for this person or that person which somebody may interpret. I, I don't want to risk that interpretation. What, what's, what's really being said is that when we talk about American civil religion versus biblical Christianity, we're talking about two different spiritual formations. One is genuine, the other is false. And we're encouraging you not to sort of participate in the idolatry, which God hates, but actually participate in the religion, participate in the faith um, that, that is once for all delivered to the saints, um, that that's pure. Uh, and so one of the places where that rubber meets the road is in the question of who do you sit under in terms of receiving the, the instruction, the teaching of God's word, whose life do you follow? And if it's someone who is taken in by what we've been discussing today, American civil religion, you need another pastor. You need another pastor. And, and the same would be true if it were a, a liberal democratic president and your pastor were being taken in about them. It ain't about the, the sort of partisan nature of this. Uh, it, it is about the spiritual aspect of it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Much better said than I uh, said. It's amazing. Know, you, know, you said it well, brother. I just wanted to add, add my two cents. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. In part because you began with, I don't know if you all would agree with me. I'm agreeing. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it. But no, but I, I just I just do think it's time for us to like, it's, I feel like folks who do that sort of thing need to see some of the consequences of their actions if we are to kind of reshape and reclaim um, evangelicalism for Christ, you know, ultimately. I just think that's important. I think it's, I think what you've done well, and I think is something people should should consider or, or know, is that syncretism is on par with the heresy of prosperity gospel or yep. denying exactly right. the deity of Christ, or you know, like on whatever whatever you want to go on down the list. Like it, it is as dangerous as any of those other heresies, um, and I think. I think because there still is a desire to be polite about politics, I think a lot of people won't talk about these things. I mean, we've experienced that in our circles, probably in our families, all sorts of stuff. Um, But we're very quick to say, you know, ex-pastor in Houston or North Carolina or wherever is clearly falling into prosperity gospel. Exactly. You know, I, I don't hear it as much with you know ex-pastor down in Dallas is clearly falling into syncretism by you know x y and z ways I mean you, you can point to really tangible stuff yep. uh, that that shows it and yeah I think I, I do want it to be and we've gone long I and mean, I'm gonna make us go longer but <laughs> the has long been sounding the trumpet on 
you know, we are unable to have these conversations within in the church. And I wonder if that has made us vulnerable to a certain kind of wolf um, mm. that we should have shot a long time ago. Mm. 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 Yeah. It's like the, sil the silence is agreement, brethren. <laughs> Silence. No, I mean, yeah. being discerning. Mean, so we, we talk about being discerning about false teaching. The same things we're cautioned about, I think, apply to this syncretism, to this American civic religion. That's something for us. And, and all every Christian can play their part in being discerning um, about those things, which is, you know, and all of us should. So, yeah, it's a good note to end on. Um, yeah. Tabidi, would you like to pray for us? I'd be glad to. Thank you for the conversation, brothers. It was good. Yeah. Father, thank you so much that you have given us wisdom in your word. It is sufficient for us to know how to live in a way that pleases you. It's sufficient for us to keep us from uh, the imitations of an antichrist, uh, the false religions that mimic uh, the true religion. Uh, it is sufficient for exposing uh, such falsehoods and exposing our hearts. And so we pray that you would make us a people who come back to your word again and again and again to drink it in, to be sifted by it, to be pierced by it, to be healed by it, to be instructed and guided by it. Lord, we pray for a revival in your church, and we pray that you would keep your people, Lord, unspotted by the world. Lord, even as we look to be prophetic in our politics, uh, help us to, to avoid being swept into the uh, current uh, by political uh, machinations and uh, ideas that uh, at first were not were not identified by us, Lord. Make us discerning and careful, we pray. Uh, purify your church and, and make us a blessing, Lord, to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.